and I'm your brother, Fireman Diesel Ogaya, and welcome to the Class War Battlefield Podcast. When I started this show in 2011, my goal was to inform, inform, inform. Obviously, the show has evolved, a lot of new topics, a lot of new thoughts, taking on metaphysics, some spirituality, hitting you with all types of things that you may have never heard of, and some that you have. It's always lively. But now I'm coming to you to ask you to help me prolong this podcast. For years, I have been producing this podcast for free on your behalf. I am now coming to you to ask you to support this work. whatever you can do, please do. Now, the definition. This is an NBC News special report. Here's Lester Holt. Good evening. We are coming on the air with breaking news set to rattle the 2024 presidential campaign and our country's legal landscape. Former President Donald Trump has just posted on social media that he has been told by the federal government that he is being indicted over what he calls the boxes hoax. That is special counsel Jack Smith's investigation into alleged mishandling of more than 100 classified documents discovered at his Mar-a-Lago home in Florida last year. It comes months after he became the first former president in U.S. history to be arrested for criminal charges. That was for a separate New York state case when he pleaded not guilty for his alleged role in hush money payments toward the end of his first campaign in 2016. We want to go right now to senior Washington court correspondent Hallie Jackson. Hallie, what do we know and what's the impact? Well, what we know is from Donald Trump himself, Lester, the former president who, in a post on his Truth Social platform, says he has been notified that he has been indicted. He is issuing a fiery and familiar preemptive defense to this news, calling it, as you say, a so-called boxes hoax and saying he's been summoned to court in Miami on Tuesday afternoon, presumably for an arraignment. Now, remember, this likely stems and I want to be clear here. This is coming from Donald Trump himself. So far, NBC News has not independently verified this with anybody at the Justice Department or other sources at this point. This likely stems from that classified documents investigation that special counsel Jack Smith has been conducting for months now. Whether Donald Trump knowingly and intentionally broke the law by bringing classified material from the White House when he was president down to his Florida home. Remember, hundreds of documents were found when the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago last August. Last summer, it was August 8th, of course, that incredibly dramatic moment. And now it appears Donald Trump has been indicted, he says, because of those federal statutes, those laws about handling classified information properly. All along, Donald Trump, the former president, has maintained that as president, he could declassify anything at any time whenever he wanted to. That is a legal theory, a legal opinion that has not been tested. It clearly does not hold up in the view of the Justice Department. We have seen a number of witnesses and two grand juries now, one in D.C. and one in Florida, looking at this case. So significant news tonight, Lester. You talk about the legal landscape There is obviously a political landscape as well. Donald Trump right now is the Republican frontrunner in the race for the White House. 
We have been here before as it related to an indictment against him. Different situation, different case, state level. That was in Manhattan. After that, we saw his poll numbers go up. We saw him tighten his grip on the Republican Party. We don't know what certainly will happen this time from here. But if past precedent is any indication, you may see the Republican base rally around him at this point. Lester. I'm an innocent man. We will prove that again. Seven years of proving it. And here we go again. Very unfair. But that's the way it is. He's right about one thing. Once again, Donald Trump will have to prove his innocence. But this time, the indictment is far more serious. The federal government of the United States, for the first time ever, is set to charge a former president with a crime. The indictment hasn't yet been unsealed, but we know it all revolves around this. The moment in 2021 when Donald Trump left office and took with him dozens of boxes that included classified and top secret documents that rightly belonged to the government. They all ended up at Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida and 15 boxes were subsequently returned to the National Archives. But authorities then discovered Trump had more, despite his lawyers claiming everything had been returned. So the Justice Department ordered an unprecedented raid of Mar-a-Lago, where the FBI retrieved over 100 additional documents, some with the highest level of security clearance. Had Donald Trump returned the documents at the start when he was first asked, the matter would likely now be closed. There's nothing inherently criminal in removing documents from the White House by mistake. But he didn't simply return the documents. And it's Trump's actions to allegedly retain the documents and allegedly obstruct federal authorities from retrieving them that are now at the heart of the government's criminal case against him. In true Trump style, he wanted to be first to break the news, saying on his Truth Social platform last night, I have been summoned to appear at the federal courthouse in Miami on Tuesday at 3pm. I never thought it possible that such a thing could happen to a former president of the United States. I am an innocent man. This is today. Cue TV network mayhem. Breaking overnight, Donald Trump becomes the first former president ever to face federal criminal charges. Donald Trump is indicted by the Justice Department. He is His lawyer even appeared on CNN, giving details about the seven criminal charges waiting for Trump in Miami. Not 100% clear that all of those are separate charges, but they basically break out from an Espionage Act charge, which is ludicrous under the facts of this case, and I, I can certainly explain it, and several obstruction-based type charges, and then false statement charges, which are actually, again, kind of a, a crazy stretch just from the facts as we know it. So there's a lot to pick at eventually from the defense side, but that appears to be the charges and it appears to be something that will uh, get off the ground on Tuesday. Only this lawyer won't be there, because guess what? He resigned from Trump's team today. Why did you take those documents with you when you left the White House? I had every right to under the Presidential Records Act. You have the Presidential Records Act. I was there and I took what I 
hook and it gets declassified. A key part of Trump's defense, though, we know, is his insistence that he had declassified the documents. However, a key part of the evidence leading to the indictment includes an audio recording from 2021 in which Trump discusses a classified document in detail. In a transcript of the recording obtained by CNN, Trump is discussing a classified Pentagon document about Iran. Secret. This is secret information. Look, look at this, he says. This was done by the military and given to me, he claims. And in a critical piece of evidence, Trump admits this. As president, I could have declassified, but now I can't. This is very, very serious. And all he had to do was hand them back and say, I'm sorry, but now they say we asked for them back. You didn't hand the back, so you didn't hand the back for a reason. And by the way, if your reason you think is a good reason because maybe you wanted to give them to your friends in, in politics, well, you can't tell anybody that in the courtroom. That's not going to fly. Remember, this is the second indictment of Trump in as many months after he was charged in an alleged hush money scheme in Manhattan. The difference between then and now? That was a misdemeanor that most people think will unlikely end in serious consequences for Trump. But this federal case, if he's found guilty, could put the former president behind bars. Well, in the last couple of minutes, you can see here the 49-page indictment has now been unsealed in Florida, confirming those seven charges against the former president, including willful retention of national defence information, conspiracy to obstruct justice, withholding a document or record and a scheme to conceal. Some of these charges individually carry a sentence, a maximum sentence of 20 years if he is found guilty. So this is a very, very serious moment for Donald Trump. The Republican reaction, as you might expect, has been to slam the political weaponization, as they say, of the Department of Justice. And Joe Biden uh, yesterday answered a question on this when he said he had never at one single time told the DOJ what to do. But we are now staring at the spectre of the current president of the United States, Joe Biden, seeking re-election in 2024 when his elected, uh, uh, appointed rather, Department of Justice is simultaneously criminally investigating his main Republican rival, Donald Trump. Another first in this litany of firsts. But right now, uh, I want to uh, direct my panel, Michael Imhotep, host of the African History Network show, uh, Monique Presley, crisis manager, also host of Make It Make Sense with Monique Presley, Cleo Monago, uh, behavioral expert, uh, joins us as well. Glad to have all three of you here, Monique. Uh, let, I'll start with you, talk about with, with your legal uh, background. I, I'm absolutely laughing at all of these Republicans who are having a conniption. They are, I mean, Martin Levin on Fox News is literally beside himself. Uh, and, and what was killing me are all these fools who refused to even acknowledge that all Trump had to do was hand them back the documents. We're not here. No, he wanted to keep the classified documents, including some of America's top secrets. Roland, it is, he had a chance even after that. It's not even about him handing back the documents. He could have gotten away with that crime, the way white men get away with crimes all the time. He still could have gotten away with that crime. But 
as I as I tweeted about an hour and a half ago, dear Americans, you have the right to remain silent. Use it. As grandmama and them would say, Hirsch, shut up. If he had just kept his documents and then didn't feel it's ego, it's hubris, it's arrogance, it's all of those things that led him to be talking and waving around documents. See, see, what what I want to say is, I mean... He really, he's like all of our uncles at the cookout. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about what I did in World War II when he, when they weren't even born in World War II. It's, it's the lies, damn lies and politics of it that is now, frankly, going to land him incarcerated. Like this is, this is not a drill. But my point in this first comment is if he had just remained silent why are you talking about this to the press and to the people who bring right. you Coca-Colas and to the people who, but you he, know, like you mad at General Millen. And so now you waving documents around and you're saying out loud while you know you're recorded, it's too late for me to declassify. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I think I... I, I die, whatever the young people say, I am passing out because I knew he was stupid. I just didn't know he was dumb. Well, well no, no, well, here's the deal, Michael. Uh, first of all, I always knew he was dumb. Uh, here's what cops always say. They appreciate dumb criminals because they are dumb. Because yes. they do dumb-ish. That, yep. That's what this fool did. You're, keep, you're keeping documents that lays out the country's nuclear capabilities. You've got documents that dictate how our allies are going to respond to a first strike. Dude, this is not, oh, I kept a letter from the leader of North Korea. No, you literally have documents showing the nuclear capabilities of the United States. Hell yes, you're going to get indicted. Absolutely, Roland. And now on and, and on top of that, obstruction of justice as well. So if you're absolutely correct, if he had just handed the records back when the National Archives first asked for them, this would not be a story. But my favorite type of white supremacist is a dumbass white supremacist. And Donald Trump is my favorite type of white supremacist. This is, uh, as I explained to many people here on this show, as well as on uh, the African History Network show, this is a much more straightforward case than the January 6th insurrection. There are going to be charges coming from that, but this is not a who done it. This is a you did it. The documents were at Mar-a-Lago. Donald Trump admitted they were at Mar-a-Lago. He admitted he took the documents. He said he had every right to take the documents. And he said, I want my documents back as well. So, you know, if, if mess around and find out was a person, it'd be Donald Trump. And this is, you know, you, you've had many Republicans who said this is a sad day for America, uh, like uh, punk-ass right. things like this. No, this is All a right. very good day for America. This is a good day for the rule of law. This is a day to show that no man or woman is above the law, even a former president. 
So, uh, so I've been following this. I told you back in November 2022, Roland, right here on the show, when Special Counsel Jack Smith was uh, appointed by Attorney General Merrick Garland. That was the right thing to do. Garland followed the Department of Justice policy. And I said, this is not going to take very long. This is going to lead to an indictment. And uh, just so people understand, President Biden did not indict uh, Donald Trump. It was, a, it was a grand jury made up of U.S. citizens that indicted Donald Trump. Can I ask a question? Um, you know what, uh, Cleo? Can I ask a question? Uh, 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 actually, hold on. No, no, hold on. Hold on. No, wait, wait, wait. wait. I apologize. Cleo, I apologize. the thing that I'm really, Cleo, the thing that I'm cr really cracking up, Cleo, uh, I, I am cracking up uh, at all of these Republican tears. Uh, this is so unfair. He's being targeted. It's a witch hunt. I thought they were the party of law and order. I, I, I really, I really find it all of their whining to be quite amusing. Oh, Roland, the right wing and the people that follow Donald Trump, like the people who were involved in the January 6th event, are not operating on the logic of most of us. They're operating on their own subjective, tower-hungry logic, which defies a lot of what we're saying. This is not... This is not Trump's first indictment, and he's still almost 60 percent of Republicans at this point are still supporting him. He's still the highest ranking Republican in the United States of America, despite indictment, because just like their forefathers, people who developed things like Manifest Destiny, and they went beyond the lives and didn't care about people who lived here, who were living and breathing and having their own experience and being human beings, they didn't care. And they don't care about logic right now. I believe that Donald Trump has a theoretical possibility of still winning. Because whenever a crazy, well, I shouldn't use those terms, whenever a Republican sees an attack on Donald Trump, they see it as something that makes him a victim that they think they have, that they have sympathy for. They feel, they feel affinity toward him. See how they're treating us. See how they're treating our leader. They don't care about it being against so-called law. And I think some of us on this panel know that people among whites change laws sometimes when they want to, historically that, that has occurred. So I'm not, I know that it's ridiculous. I know that this is um, ob obstruction of law, all that. But white supremacists, people in this country have never cared about logic. They care about power at all costs. And it will be difficult for Donald Trump to get to the White House, but I remember on your show, before he was president, how I was in debates with people who said he could never win, he could never win. I said, yes, he could. He can win. Don't look at this from a purely logical perspective. Look at this through a hungry white supremacist, white control at all costs perspective, and you might listen better and take better strategies to resist who these people are. Because it doesn't matter how bad he is. He is the poster child for white supremacy and control, and he has a lot of support. He has millions of people that support him. Man, this is why, Monique, the point that I keep making to folks, to our audience and the folks, is do understand if these people are so craven and desperate that they will support this man even with this, they will do whatever is necessary to hold on to power. That man and that party must be stopped and never be allowed to control the Oval Office. Roland, they are holding on to him when they're not in power. 
So to me, it is it is demonstrably worse than the way that you describe it in that even when they're under and they could grab on to someone else uh, to attain power, to be in majority, to move past it, they choose not to. I was speaking to an, another lawyer. I'm I'm here uh, in in New York today. Last night we were celebrating our Queen Warrior uh, Tamika Mallory's 43rd birthday. But today I had meetings, 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 and in the first one of the day, I was speaking with a lawyer, and she was describing it. Nobody could do it better. She was saying, "Listen, the way I would pick a surgeon." I would want a surgeon who knows more about surgery than me. That is the opposite of the way the American electorate picks a president. They want somebody who knows as little as they do or less, who makes them feel like we the same, we together, we together. And anybody who knows more, Obama, Clinton, Clinton, et cetera, Biden, Harris, Anybody who knows more has more experience. Oh, no, we don't want them. And it's not just racism and it's not just a power grab. It is. I feel like I'm good when I have somebody who is just as stupid as me, who is in the highest elected position in the land. Indicted again. Donald Trump has become the first president to face federal criminal charges as a grand jury in Florida indicts him over the mishandling of classified documents after leaving office. Trump is expected to surrender to authorities in Miami on Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. The indictment remains sealed. According to news accounts, Trump has been indicted on seven charges, which could mean many, many counts. On Thursday night, Trump's attorney, Jim Trustee, appeared on CNN to discuss what he knew about the charges from the summary sheet. It does have some language in it that suggests what the seven charges would be. Not 100 percent clear that all of those are separate charges, but they basically break out from an Espionage Act charge, which is ludicrous under the facts of this case, and I, I can certainly explain it, and several obstruction-based type charges, and then false statement charges, which are actually, again, kind of a, a crazy stretch just from the facts as we know it. So there's a lot to pick at eventually from the defense side, but that appears to be the charges, and it appears to be something that will uh, get off the ground on Tuesday. The indictment stems from an investigation by special counsel Jack Smith, who's also probing Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election and his role in the January 6th insurrection. Trump could still face additional federal charges in those investigations. Two months ago, Trump was also indicted in New York on 34 felony counts for falsifying business records to cover up hush money payments made to adult film star Stormy Daniels and others. The new federal charges come nearly a year after the FBI found 300 classified documents during searches of Trump's properties, including at his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida. Part of the Justice Department's case may rely on Trump's own comments. CNN recently reported Trump had acknowledged on tape during a 2021 meeting that he had kept secret military information about Iran.
According to a transcript, Trump said, quote, secret. This is secret information. Trump dismissed the indictment, describing it as the, quote, boxes hoax. In a post on his social media platform, Trump wrote, quote, I am an innocent man. The charges come at a time when the former president is running again for the White House. On Thursday, his presidential rival, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, blasted what he called the weaponization of federal law enforcement. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said the indictment was a, quote, dark day for the country. Uh, Dennis, uh, uh, I wanted to ask you about a couple of things. One is, if there's a conspiracy charge, there is an assumption that there are other people involved in the conspiracy. Uh, what do you make of that? And also, the decision by the Justice Department to uh, do this indictment in uh, Florida rather than Washington, because presumably the documents were taken in Washington, D.C. originally, although they ended up, um, uh, many of them, uh, in Florida. Uh, your sense of why this decision to, to uh, conduct the indictment and the trial, presumably, in, uh, in, the sub in Florida? Uh, that is really an excellent question. Uh, reasonable prosecutors could differ about where it should be indicted under the Sixth Amendment. A defendant is entitled to a trial by an impartial jury in the district where the crime is committed. It's not quite that simple, though, because crimes can be continuing and can occur in two jurisdictions. And there's a pretty good argument that that's exactly what happened here. The reason. And the issue of conspiracy? Oh, I'm sorry? And the issue of conspiracy? Yes. Uh, the, the issue of conspiracy, you're absolutely correct. It takes two to tango in a conspiracy. A conspiracy is an agreement by two or more people to commit an unlawful act. They both have to share the intent to do something unlawful. There are reports that there are five sealed indictments, and so they may tell us we need to await the unsealing of those indictments, which may happen on Tuesday at Trump's arraignment. It could happen before. On that issue of conspiracy, who are the possible people here? And, of course, we're going to know much more next week. But we learned that Mark Meadows has testified, his former chief of staff, and what that conspiracy could be. Um, you have all this new information about Walt Nauta, who is um, the valet for Donald Trump uh, in Mar-a-Lago. Um, the flooding of the server room when they said they were emptying the pool, the moving of the boxes from one place to another. And then talk about how serious these charges are. I mean, conspiracy, espionage, these are decades in jail. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to improve on what you just said, Amy. Walt Nauta is the is the most obvious candidate. It's unclear with respect to Meadows. The reports are that Meadows has agreed to plead and uh, is cooperating on that basis. 
So if that's true, major if there, then he could be an unindicted co-conspirator. Although he was more clearly, by inference, a co-conspirator in removing the documents from Washington, we don't know what his role was in obstructing justice. You need to remember, with respect to the conspiracy to obstruct, that it was 18 months between the time the National Archives first asked for the documents back and when the FBI conducted a court-authorized search in August, as you said in your introduction, of 2022, almost a year ago, uh, that recovered uh, at least 100 uh, classified documents. So there could have been several people involved in the stall, the long, long stall to try to prevent the return of the documents that Trump was unauthorized to possess. Walt Nauta would be at the top of the list as the person who is described as having moved the documents right after the subpoena for them. There was a grand jury subpoena in May of 2022. But there are many other people. There's uh, the allegations about gaps in the tapes. And Jack Smith is likely to know a lot more that we may find out about when the indictment is revealed, and a lot more than that uh, when a trial occurs. Uh, Dennis, I wondered if you could uh, speculate in terms of the political impact of all of this, because clearly for Trump supporters and for perhaps other Americans, there does seem to be a concerted effort uh, by the government to go after uh, after Donald Trump. And this the trials will probably last into the the presidential race itself. Uh, what the uh, how do you respond to the issue that uh, that the Speaker McCarthy is saying and and Ron DeSantis or others that the federal government is weaponizing law enforcement? I would say that is a combination of distraction and projection about what the House is doing weaponizing the law. I would say that the concerted effort is a concerted effort for against a serial lawbreaker. We do not have kings here. We have the rule of law, and no one is above it, including a former president. It's a sad day for the country when a former president is indicted, and it is a necessary day when the evidence is so serious against him. Were there not an indictment, we would not have a rule of law. We would not have a rule where no one is above the law. Dennis Aftergood, I wanted to ask you about a piece you recently co-authored in Salon. Clarence Thomas, Ken Paxton, and Donald Trump. 
the corrupting influence of oligarchy, in which you write, quote, it's tempting to attribute the scandals now enveloping two right-wing icons, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, to both men's lack of an ethical compass. Resisting that temptation is necessary if we're to learn a larger lesson about the roots of much political corruption in this country. Um, if you could go on from there, and for people who don't know Ken Paxton, he was just impeached by—he he is the Republican attorney general of Texas and was just impeached by the Republican legislature. The point—the central point of that piece is that one needs to look at the structural elements of corruption, and it's not just in this country, Amy. It's around the world. And the structural element is this. It's a connection between corruption, oligarchs, people of enormous wealth and influence in a society, and right-wing parties. We quote a study out of Germany uh, in which they looked at 104 countries and found a, an elevated level of corruption in countries ruled by right-wing parties. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. People of wealth tend—and this does not apply to every person of wealth, of course—but they tend to want to preserve the status quo. or return to the past where their rights to do things were unregulated in a laissez-faire kind of economy. And right-wing parties and right-wing politicians stand for the status quo or the past. And so it's kind of intuitive that they want to capture political leaders who have influence over the economy. It's kind of intuitive that those are going to be people on the right who agree with them ideologically. All right, folks, welcome back. You know, one of the things that really jumps out at me uh, is that, that what his aides did, Michael, they literally loaded the plane and moved documents from Mar-a-Lago to, uh, to his other resort. And I'm like, are you serious? I mean, again, and, and again, I'm, I'm looking, and again, I look at somebody's reaction, um, it, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It, and uh, like, like Eric Erickson said, oh man, you know, this, this is, this indictment is damning, but I think it's best left up to 150 million voters. I'm like, wait a minute. So the rich guy, he doesn't get to be held accountable. What's the point of the law if it's, oh, well, you know what? I used to be in the old law office. I could do pretty much do what I want. No, Th this man, like anybody else, should be held accountable. And guess what? It's a whole bunch of black politicians who have been sent to prison for wrongdoing and didn't nobody say, ah, just go ahead and give them a break because they're a politician. 
Absolutely. You know, Roland, uh, Walt Nata has been uh, hit with uh, six charges, including conspiracy to uh, obstruct, withholding the document or record, and scheme to conceal. Uh, and this was an aid to Donald Trump as well. He allegedly moved boxes the day before the FBI came to serve a, a search warrant. So when you have these Republicans who were the they were the party of law and order, um, you know, they backed the blue until the coup, as, as I've said numerous times here on this show, which is absolutely true. Until the January 6, 2021 insurrection, they backed the blue. Uh, they used to tell African-Americans just comply. You know, if you had just complied, maybe you wouldn't have been shot. If you had just complied, maybe you wouldn't have been beaten upside your head. So the question I would ask for Eric Erickson, the question I would ask for uh, Kevin McCarthy and, and the rest of these Republicans who want to compromise any integrity that they have, uh, would you say the same thing if everything was the same except the name was Barack Obama instead of Donald Trump? And documents were found at Barack Obama's house, classified documents, and he didn't give them back. W would you say the same thing? Oh, just just leave it up to the voters. Oh, no, you shouldn't prosecute. No, no, you wouldn't. So uh, th these are the people. I want them to keep talking. I want them to show a clear distinction between people who, who hold office, who have some integrity, and people who have totally prostituted themselves for uh, Donald Trump. And these are the people who have to be voted out of office and should never hold power again. The thing that I keep reiterating over and over and over, Cleo, is that when people will make every possible excuse for someone like this idiot, when they are literally pining for January 6th defendants to get pardons, these folks will do anything to hold on to power. And I'm gonna need a lot, I'm gonna need a whole lot of us to understand that if this is who you're dealing with, what we cannot do is sit out. What we cannot do is not act like it's important because let me be real clear, his crazies, they're going to turn out in record numbers next year. And if these folks will defend this and they will call for pardons for January 6th, we know exactly what they'll also allow to happen to us because we've seen it and we're here in Mississippi and we know what that history is. Mm -hmm. We are witnessing a long-term knee-jerk reaction in response to many things, but more symbolically, the election of Barack Obama and the First Lady Michelle Obama being in the White House, who for eight years were a symbolic and intellectual contradiction to the myth of white supremacy. And before they'd been to the White House, the myth of white supremacy was the narrative. It was what we heard, all of us heard for all of our lives since the beginning of the country, that we are inferior and they are superior. And that was an important myth for a lot of white people, even nice white people, that regardless of what they do, we are still superior. It's obvious that we're better and we're in better situation because we are better. And then here comes Barack Obama and Michelle, in the White House, be, being beautifully, beautiful, brilliant, and, re and relatively successful, not from a black perspective, from a presidential perspective. And all of this knee-jerk reaction regarding allowing the likes of Trump to be in the White House was a, is a desperate reaction to trying to put things back together from a white perspective at all costs. Because Donald Trump, unlike Hillary and other white people, has been the first white person to run for president to be sh straight up 
about their anti-blackness, strave about their, their their whiteness, to say stuff like the Klan and 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 liberals are on the same boat in terms of having their own position, and they both have a right to what they have to say. And he is someone who has been blatant. And that's why he can be indicted and still be celebrated. That's why he can be indicted and still be the most popular Republican in, in this country. And you're right in, ter in terms of what I got from you saying that we should be concerned, but I think we're being real, real fantasistical, if you will, if we keep the, if we think that these people are not going to be back in power or won't be in a position to be in power just because of these egregious things. White supremacy does not care. It's psych it's sociopathic. It's also psychopathic, like a serial killer. They can care less about humanity outside of the realm of who they who they prefer and who they lift up. So we need to be real clear that we have to think about these things with dual strategies and stop simply calling it dumb and stupid because it's a strategy that got the man in the White House in 2016. Which is why I am making this point, uh, Monique, that they're going to turn out in mass. The last, the last thing that we can afford is to see another drop off of black voter participation in the presidential election because they're banking on that. And don't forget, uh, after 2016, uh, Donald Trump thanked black people for not voting. Yeah, uh, because the black people who were mad at um, Secretary Clinton helped him, as did the 53 percent of white women. Uh, as as did everybody else. Listen, Roland, let me say an unpopular, but what I believe is um, salient truth that takes this out of the realm of what's going to happen to this white billionaire, alleged billionaire, former president. There are people, hey, black folks, there are people like Jussie Smollett there are people, uh, current day, like Jonathan Majors, right? There are people, current day, few days ago. Ooh, dare I mention Bill Cosby? Listen, there are people who have not been accused of crimes against our country, who have not been accused of espionage, who have not been accused nor have had the opportunity to run the entire country and sell all of our secrets and put us all at risk in any number of ways. And, and what we're seeing is that you can be indicted and be an, an old white man with a whole bunch of money who was a former president and it will boost your poll numbers. It will increase your funding. There is a whole sector of people who will give you more money because you have been charged with 37 crimes. There are people who will pay you for that. And then there's us. When our people are charged with crimes they did not commit, when our people are wrongfully accused, when our people, even though prosecutors are trying to push away charges, we're still being charged. We liberals, we progressives, we black folks with money will still say, oh, but 
the wrong that they did. I want you to wake up because the way that this world is working, the way that this world is working, the trumps of the world will always advance no matter what is against them. There is somebody who's supporting them. Why? Why aren't we supporting our own in the same measure? Why do we not care what misdemeanor is charged against them? What trumped up charges are levied against them? What things are befalling them? Why aren't we in the streets in the same manner? I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. We are getting all of these just completely despicable, deranged, vile uh, reactions from the MAGA Republicans, from uh, right-wing extremist media, uh, from other right-wing propaganda sources, uh, just attacking our system of law and order, uh, just spreading lies about the way our justice system works, attacking special counsel Jack Smith and all these MAGA Republicans who are supporting Donald Trump, who engaged in some of the most egregious crimes imaginable, which he was criminally indicted for by special counsel Jack Smith on Thursday. I want to share with you um, some of these reactions, so, just so we can call out how far this Republican Party has fallen, how lawless they have become. The first clip I'm going to show you is one of Donald Trump's lawyer, Alina Haba, who mentions in this interview after the news broke that Donald Trump was indicted. She says that she's embarrassed to be a lawyer at this moment. Play this clip. I've confirmed the counts. I wouldn't speak to that. I, I can tell you this. Every single time there is an investigation that comes to fruition against the Biden corrupt family, every single time. Right now we have Com uh, Ray, who's being held in contempt because he won't share documents. Every single time there is a coordinated dance that is becoming obvious to the American people because they are smart. And what they do is they say, oh, look at this shiny ball, Jesse. Look at this shiny ball. Let's go after Trump. Whatever you hear about the Bidens, don't worry about it. Trump, Trump, Trump. It's called Trump derangement syndrome. And now it's becoming so sick. They are politicized. I'm embarrassed to be a lawyer at this moment. Honestly, I am ashamed. I am ashamed to be a lawyer. I'm ashamed that this is the state of our country. And it is so obvious that there is this dual system of justice. This is selective prosecution, selective persecution. It is absolute persecution. It is Russia third world stuff. And it should not be happening. Well, Alina Haba, I am embarrassed that you are a lawyer. I am embarrassed to be in a profession that has you as someone who is also licensed as a lawyer. You don't know what you're doing. You just completely spread lies and propaganda. History will look very unkindly towards you, both your incompetence and your desire to destroy our democracy. This is a right-wing media personality, Grant Stinchfield, who says that it won't matter. There's nothing in the Constitution that says he can't run from prison. Play this clip. It won't matter. There's nothing in the Constitution that says he can't be president from inside prison. And then once he gets there, well, he can pardon himself. This is what the House Judiciary GOP account, this is the official account from the Republican House Judiciary. This is their government account. They go witch hunt. They go Joe Biden's garage. These were the posts that they made. They also made that post a few months back, you know, praising Kanye West and Elon Musk. It is a total 
total propaganda right-wing fascist account and deeply sad that that's what uh, it's become. But look, it starts at the top. MAGA Republican Kevin McCarthy, the weakest speaker of the House in American history, spreading lies. Here's the post that he made. He goes, today is indeed a dark day for the United States of America. It is unconscionable for a president to indict the leading candidate opposing him. Joe Biden kept classified documents for decades. I and every American who believes in the rule of law stand with President Trump against this grave injustice. House Republicans will hold this brazen weaponization of power accountable, clearly a threat by Kevin McCarthy to weaponize the government in a case that should not be politicized at all. Donald Trump committed very serious criminal conduct for which he is being indicted for. Donald Trump stole classified records. He stole thousands of other government records. He obstructed justice. No one is above the law. It is not politicizing anything that Donald Trump is indicted. What is politicizing and weaponizing government is dangerous statements like this by Kevin McCarthy treating Donald Trump like he is above the law. And here, Republicans have an ability to show some integrity in the face of this. And what do they do? What they always do. They show what traitors they are. They show that they are just members of a cult, that the Republican Party is no more. It is Donald Trump's MAGA Republican Party. Speaking of which, here is MAGA Republican Representative Clay Higgins. Here's what he says. He goes, President Trump said, first off, he's not the president anymore. Stop it with your ridiculous cult behavior like that. Clay Higgins goes, President Trump said he has been summoned to appear at federal courthouse in Miami on Tuesday at 3 p.m. This is a perimeter probe from the oppressor. Hold our POTUS has this buckle up 150K, know your bridges, rock steady calm. That is all. Where was he even talking about there? Charlie Kirk, the MAGA influencer, goes, every, quote, Republican running for president should suspend their campaign and go to Miami as show of support. If you don't, you are part of the problem. Either we have an opposition party or we don't. Go to Miami Tuesday and show solidarity or we will mark you as the opposition. Well, take a look at what DeSantis's response to that was, um, and it probably wouldn't surprise you what uh, DeSantis uh, said. DeSantis's response, let's pull it up right now. He goes, the weaponization of federal law enforcement represents a mortal threat to a free society. We have for years witnessed an uneven application of the law depending on political affiliation. Why so zealous in pursuing Trump yet so passive about Hillary or Hunter. The DeSantis administration will bring accountability to the DOJ, excise political bias, and end weaponization once and for all. This is an individual who has completely weaponized his government, who literally goes to other states to kidnap migrants and to traffic them because he enjoys the cruelty, because he enjoys causing such harm to people. That is who he is. By the way, this is 
is a video of uh, Republican Nancy Mace. Just so you know, there are no normal Republicans. You know, she's the person who tries to fancy herself as a moderate. It doesn't exist anymore in the Republican Party. Here's what she goes. She goes, I'm not a shill. But when you watch this video, remember Nancy Mace is the person who went in front of Trump Tower and begged, literally begged for Donald Trump's endorsement. Play this clip. And when you look at the standard that he mm-hmm. has, it's a double standard. It's a, it's a second tier d- a double standard of justice in this country. And what the American people want, they want everybody to be treated the same. And, you know, Donald Trump's no fan of mine. He primaried me last year. So I'm not a shill, but I see this and I see how unfair it's been. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just can't believe this is happening. And I said this two days ago. Uh, Harris, I said that this was going to happen on the day that we either in, that we either held in contempt Christopher Ray with the FBI, or we got access to those documents. You were right. And what I, I and I and it, I predicted it. It came true. You just this is the banana banana republic. I just cannot believe that this is what's actually happening. He's trying to take out his political opponents using the executive branch. That's what this is. All right, let's. And of course, Fox was not taking it well. This is Mark Levin who talks like that and just yells and just throws a tantrum. Here, play this clip of Mark Levin. They're throwing all these process crimes and all these crimes that grow out of the criminal investigation against Trump. What did he do with the documents? Did he sell them to the enemy? No. That's why we have an espionage act, not to trick up a president. What did he do? Did he burn them all? No. The government has all the documents back. So there is no violation of the Presidential Records Act at this point. But they throw the book at him. They go after his attorneys. They make them testify. They're attorneys under the crime fraud exemption to attorney client privilege. That means he didn't have due process. His own lawyers were being subjected to interrogations. And they had hundreds of in uh, person people testifying in front of grand juries. Thousands of collections of documents for what? For what? And they indict him today? They indict him today in Miami? All of a sudden it's in Miami? All of a sudden we have a Florida grand jury? Because the moron in Washington figured out that there are venue issues that could lose him his case. This guy, this... Here's one other clip of Mark Levin. I'll tell you something. There are tens of millions of us. You have crossed the Rubicon twice, which has never been done. And we will never forgive you. Never, ever. And that's the bottom line. I'm done. I'm reminded, folks, of the statement that Liz Cheney made. Liz Cheney said, tonight I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. I couldn't agree more with that. What a bunch of dishonorable people right there who do not support law and order, who are a clear and present current threat to our democracy. It is more important than ever that we support this pro-democracy community. We support a community like the Midas Mighty that respects the rule of law, that respects law and order. We need compassionate, intelligent leadership. Um, And what you just saw from all of these MAGA Republicans is the complete opposite of that. A storm is rising against the privileged minority of the earth. This is why I say it's liberty or it's death. It's freedom for everybody or freedom for nobody. 
This is an NBC News Hotline special report. We're at a turning point in the history of this nation. We need to stand for freedom. There's an escalating authoritarianism and even a creeping fascism. Freedom is precious. If we don't fight for it, you lose it. This much is clear. We must rebel. This is our country. We have always lived in it. We were happy. Then you came. We have to protect ourselves. We have to save our country. We have to fight for what is ours. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your brother, Brian Meredith. Oh, God, yeah. Welcome to the Class War Battlefield Podcast episode. This is likely going to be part, a part, excuse me, in a multi-part episode. There's so much going on that I'm likely to just put this together with at least one, um, I have recorded two episodes dedicated to Cop City and what's going on with Cop City. Um, but, I don't know, uh, but obviously clearly this has to do with Trump being indicted. There's this, I don't know if I could call it a fear, but it's definitely a, a worry that I have. That black folks, and I gotta be honest, as much as I want to act like this episode right here or this part to an episode is dedicated to everybody. I think part of this episode has to be dedicated solely to black folks. I've been thinking for years on producing a black heavy podcast. And I just, I I tried it a couple of years ago. You know, I, I, I liked it. I just, it took a lot of work. Because I was planning out everything for it, and I just didn't have the time to keep it going. But there are conversations that need to be had in the black community that I don't know if... If I've heard anyone talk about these things. Um... So possibly in the near future, I may be producing a Black Heavy podcast. Anyway, there's this fear that black folks will not see the handwriting on the wall until it's too late. And that handwriting 
says the United States is falling. Now, for a lot of white people, they know because they have been especially, well, they've been talking about it differently, but in both conservative and progressive media, but especially in progressive media, there is a talk about late-stage capitalism, the fall of the United States. Chris Hedges talks about the end to the American century. I'm listening to folks like Roland Martin, who I love, and if it wasn't for brothers like Dr. Greg Carr and Professor Baba Dr. Professor Emeritus, I'm sorry, but in the community, he's still teaching. Baba Dr. Obatshaka. And there's probably some more out there talking. There wouldn't be anybody really bringing to the table the idea that America is falling and it's going to have a dramatic impact on black life. It's going to have a dramatic impact on all life. But for black people, it could be detrimental. Why? America's entire reason for existence seems to be its manifested destiny, a desire to be prominent in the world, to be atop the European Aryan paradigm. It wanted to be there. The United States started off as an empire ready to expand. Never forget, one of the reasons the 13 colonies wanted to secede from England was because England had forbade them from entering into territory, I believe it was west of the Appalachian Mountains, because they had an agreement with the native indigenous people back then and the folks in the colonies wanted that land. They wanted to expand to that land. So they literally fought a war to leave England. And one of the first things they did was, we going all the way to the Mississippi. Also never forget. During the actual Revolutionary War, the United States attempted to invade Canada, to capture Canada, and pull it into the direction of, quote, independence with it. The United States began as a country seeking empire status. And if it could have found more people, 
trust me, the United States would not be the size it is today. It would be much larger. The problem with seeking empire from the beginning is what empire requires. It requires a lot of bloodshed, a lot of committed people, a lot of energy to push outward. What happens then to that energy when outward is no longer possible? It turns in on itself. Now there are multiple choices that have to be, or multiple um, decisions that have to be made. When that energy turns in on itself. On what to do with that energy. How will you redirect it? How will you allow its expansive nature to benefit those within the borders of the country? How will you calm, soothe, and dissipate the tendency to destroy that is within that energy? How will you bring to conclusion the conquesting spirit, that competitiveness that seeks domination that is in that energy? And how then will you turn the innovative spirit in that energy towards the good for the country and for the conquered lands? There has to be other questions. But these are just some that have to be answered when looking at that energy. Well, the United States chose very poorly after its expansion days were done. And that might actually be more due to the fact that they didn't have really a choice. Like most empires, the United States adopted a labor policy that enslaved some for the benefit of a few. And like those empires before that chose that option, they needed a very strict rough and violent state apparatus and citizenry to maintain the enslavement principles of the society. Well, when those principles could no longer be upheld, what happened? They couldn't move all of the Africans because not all the Africans wanted to be moved. So, they had to keep them in the society and figure out what to do with them. And what they decided was, we'll just re-enslave them again, but we'll call it something different. Now, I want to mind you here. 
that enslavement took place during technically four eras in American history, the colonial era, the um, uh, I was going to say the revolutionary period, but even before that, the founding period, the founding period, which may just be the last part of the 1700s, the expansion period, which goes beyond the Civil War, goes into the early 1900s, and then, and then, the World War II or post-World War II period. For the majority of the United States history, black enslavement, African enslavement, took place alongside with expansionist tendencies. Because the colonial periods, by their very nature, were expansionist. The founding period was less expansionist, but, as I previously noted, they wanted that land to the west of the Appalachian Mountains, so they took it. They were expansionist. And then from the uh, Louisiana Purchase to the Mexican-American War to um, the, uh, the seating of um, Oregon and Washington and the taking over of Cuba and uh, parts of the Caribbean and then uh, the Philippines and Puerto Rico and Midway and do all that. Blacks were enslaved. It was only after World War II when it became a nightmare on the, quote, international stage did blacks start making any real progress at home when it came to civil rights. There's a book, and I, I am... So sorry, because I can't even remember the title of it. I never even read it, and I kicked myself. I was, you know, I was poorer back then, and um, I heard of the book. had to be 2012, 2011, and the book talks about how the black civil rights movement in the United States would have never had teeth if it hadn't been for what the Soviet unions were saying about the United States internationally, and how bad segregation looked internationally. It's a book that I have to get, and it's a book that I have to read, because I feel like that single revelation will change how black people approach everything when it comes to protesting and what have you. happens to be a theory and a concept that I believe is correct. But I digress. With the United States, 
moving beyond its expansionist origins. Now the question of what to do with the citizenry, including the Negro, which was starting to gain and seek, really, at that period of time, um, their real freedoms. And even among an expanding wealth base, there was violence when people thought about the Negro becoming free. Which brings me to why I'm talking about this. Some of our elders, many of which have now went on to join our ancestors, talked about the threat of not understanding, of not seeing as black folks how we won our freedoms. Particularly in the second Reconstruction era, which was the Civil Rights Movement. The danger was not just seeing the whole picture of how we were given the latitude to grow beyond what we had been able to grow to before. The danger was in our inability to see how easy it would be to slip backwards and to undo all of that which was gained. And indeed, we are seeing, and we have seen, over the last 10 years, a little bit over 10 years now, the rolling back of certain civil rights legislation by an extremely right leaning court. For a lot of black people, we are watching this, what some of my church folks would call this backsliding in America. And we are misinterpreting it as losing, quote, our democracy. If we understood our history a little bit better, and I'm not saying I understand it a lot better than a lot of you, I have learned a significant amount over the last couple of years. Thank you to people like Baba Dr. Obitshaka, Dr. Greg Carter, Dr. Karen Hunter, Roland Martin, his show, the people on his show, Michael Imhotep, um... Oh, I'm so embarrassed. There's this, there's this brilliant woman. I don't agree with everything she says, but she's she's very big on um, um, international politics. And I, I am there's two of them, in fact. And I I kick myself um, because I really can't think of either one of their names. One appears on Roland Martin show, and another one, Margaret um, Prescott, Margaret Prescott, and Margaret Kimberly. But there's another one that I'm forgetting, and I completely apologize. But anyway. Because of these folks and, and Gerald Horn, I have learned tons more about black history than I, than I would have known, especially how black history relates to the United States, than I would have known if they had not come on the scene. Among others, there are now hundreds of other people telling the truth of who the African is in the diaspora throughout the world. 
Unfortunately, though, we are interpreting what is going on in this country, in this backsliding. We are interpreting it as being disconnected from broader patterns that we see as only happening in the white community. Obviously, something that I've talked about for a long time on this podcast is the right wing's move towards fascism and how that movement is connected to the New Deal and how it was in the immediate aftermath of the New Deal that corporations started working overtime to not only change how Americans remember the New Deal, but change how Americans remembered how corporations responded in real time to the New Deal during its formation. And in doing both of those things, they then created the platform, the foundation, to convince Americans in later years, and, I'm, and this is really a conspiracy with conspirators. They laid the foundations to convince the American population, particularly white Americans, that it was the corporations who was their true friend and it was the federal government who was their true enemy. When it had been the federal government who had time and time and time and time again given white Americans, particularly when they were European peasants first coming over here, a leg up. And it was the corporations often trying to keep them destroyed and broken. I've talked about that here. But what a lot of folks do not, and especially my black people, we aren't making the connection between what happened with black folks and what has been happening with white people. What we miss is that from the set from the start of neoconservatism as it was reimagined after the Mount Pelier um, conversations and meetings. And if you don't know what Mount Pelier is, you might want to Google it. What we miss is that neoconservatism, which was so which was sort of given its um its life force jolt by the conservative mind book, started off by stating that outside of the economic stuff, it was really concerned about people deciding to move against their societal roles, which had been established, it didn't use this phrase, but I'm using this phrase, during imperial during the imperialist construction of the country. In the introduction to the original book of the conservative mind, if memory serves me correctly, the writer of that book, Russell Kurt, cites the agitating Negro rights movement not his words, my words, as a threat to the social order. 
And in fact, it was the introduction to that original book that many neocons in the early 60s and mid-60s pointed to as the source of inspiration of their fighting against not only what they considered the communist-created civil rights movement, but the, women, the women's movement, the free speech movement, the college agitation movements, later on, the homosexual movements, or movement. It was that book, that particular introduction, which they said warned them, and many conservatives didn't take it seriously, in their words, until they saw it come true, and that's what gave them the will to fight. What we aren't seeing as black folks is that we are one, according to a lot of conservative people, we are the linchpins to agitation in this country because we do not forget what has happened to us. And because we are the linchpins, number two, we are the most dangerous, and Malcolm X said this, we are the most dangerous civil component that exists not only in the United States, but also in the entire pan-European hegemonic order. Some might even say pan-European white supremacist hegemonic order. We are the memory keepers of the trauma in this society. There is a lot of native indigenous people throughout the world that does the same work we do. But we live it. The reason I started the, this episode with that long explanation of our position in the United States as it grew through its expansionist um, periods was because it showed how integrative we are to what America says it is, yet actualizes every day. We have been here every step of the way, and we have not forgotten what we've seen. And it is because we have not forgotten what we've seen that we have been considered the most radical point of agitation in this country. And that is why, as this country backslides now, and I have hope that it's going to stop in the next five to ten years, what I concern myself about is it appears that the corporate fascist elements in this country are preparing to institute a new domestic order that could be unbeneficial 
to black folks. I hesitate to even say it. I hesitate to even say it. But it appears to be that something is afoot. And I don't know if we are ready for that. We are not, as, as, as a community, seeing the true dangers that are surrounding us. There are some of us, I think, that do, but a lot of us that don't. What is this new domestic order? It is resource-centric. It is natural element-centric. We already have a society built on a hierarchy of distribution. Most people don't recognize it, but when you talk about food deserts, you are actually seeing the result of a distribution hierarchy. There are communities in this country with way more food than they'll ever utilize. And there are places in this country with no, no food, basically, except for processed food. This new domestic order is going to be resource-centric. Built around a, a more rigid hierarchy of distribution. Now capitalism has a hierarchy of distribution. That is why the United States consumes so much. That is why Europe consumes so much. Because there is a hierarchy of distribution. We don't talk about it. But it is key to capitalism's success. And it was the toppling of that hierarchy of distribution that a lot of these military and intelligence agencies were fighting about in the immediate decades after World War II. This new domestic order is going to rely heavily on the use of force and power. Thus I see what is happening with Cop City as a model, M-O-D-E-L, of what could be coming to cities near you. I hope I'm wrong. But there's a reason white folks are re-centrifying or re-gentrifying once, um, once owned areas. The cities, which need work, still have some of the best infrastructure in the country. So, if you are going to develop a new order centered around resources... You want the places where you can transport these resources easiest and using a minimal of energy to do so. And lastly, because I, you know, I, I, I haven't worked this all out yet. The last thing that I'll say about this new domestic order is that the government is paper thin. That just like in Rome, 
the government exists, but everybody knows that the real power to get things done isn't the government. It's the corporations. It's the people with money. This is what they're aiming to create. Now, if that was the only issue, if that was the only thing that I thought black folks weren't seeing, I could stop this right now and I'd be good. But there's something else, and it's in the air, and I've talked about it before. And there was an elder who hipped me to it back in 2015. She saw it. She talked about it. She passed away in early in the um, um, early 2016, very early 2016. Before she died, I've mentioned her before. She straight up said, after watching Donald Trump a few times on the campaign trail, said, "Hey, here's your new president." She said that in October of 2015. She died January 2016. She said, here's your new president. She called it a year before he was elected and then got out. She looked at hip-hop. She looked at movies containing black folks. And she said, I studied in Germany after the Nazis were defeated. This was a black woman. And she said, what you have happening in America is similar to what was done in Germany to the Jews prior to them being fully demonized. Black folks are scapegoats for everything, she said. We are scapegoats for everything. And I'm telling you right now, it's preparation for these people to turn the switch and start coming after us extrajudiciously. Now, in 2015, when she said this, she was looking at the, the, the accelerated extrajudicial killing of black folks, including what happened in South Carolina. And she said, it's going to get worse. And black folks might need to recognize that, and, or they, they, they might want to, excuse me, not need to, they might want to recognize that sooner rather than later. Because as this society changes, she said this, as it becomes more non-white, as these white folks realize that this society is returning to what the country was originally, Quick note on that point. White folks like to look at themselves as being the majority in this country. Do you know how long they've probably been able to say that they were a majority? Just over 100 years. Just over 100 years. If I remember, I'll come back to that. She said, this country, as it returns to uh, what it originally was, and the rest of the world shows that white people are not a majority. Europeans who want to hold control of this country and stop black, brown, yellow, and red people from taking it over, they're going to only have one, two left. 
And it's the tool that they've used for the last few centuries. And that is violence. And that could literally mean the rounding up of a lot of black people in death camps. Now there's those of you who said, you're crazy. You're nuts. There is no way. Really? Really? This is why I might put this with the other, at least one Cop City podcast episodes that I recorded. Because you need to wake up. Hitler learned what he learned about death camps, not from other Germans, but from what the United States did with native indigenous people over here. How crazy is that history? Now, I wanted to talk briefly about this idea of white people being the majority here, because I think I've mentioned it before, and if I haven't, it's in, an, it's in an episode that I haven't published yet. Because I know I've talked about it this year. I just don't know if I've published the episode yet. The United States, because of the expansionism of imperialism, has only been a white majority country. If you look at the boundary of what is the United States now, and you start even back during the colonial period, right before the United States declared independence. Europeans were a minority. And even after they had carved out the continental United States, and after they had captured Hawaii, which they controlled, but they were not the majority there, they convinced other non-white people to be on their side. Even after they grabbed Canada, I argue that when you count Native Indigenous people, which they didn't always do correctly, when you count the Negro population, the African American population, the African diaspora in America population, when you do all of that and you count them correctly, because, never forget, one of the reasons the United States started importing a bunch of Europeans in the post-Reconstruction post age was because black folks threatened to become the dominant minority, excuse me, majority in the South. Not in one or two states either, in multiple states. In multiple states. And they didn't want that. And they didn't want that. So they started importing as many Europeans as they could, as quickly as they could, to prevent black folks from getting a political um, toehold in this country. It wasn't until the early 1900s when Europeans could definitely say in this country that they were likely the majority. It was, it was about 100 years when they could say they were a majority. Another fun fact, and I've mentioned this before, no state has ever, ever been enabled to join this union, which didn't meet one of two criteria. 
One, the population was majority white. Or two, white people had control of all levers of power. And that second one only really applied to a few states. Only really applied to a few states. In, in, in the mountains region of the United States, Hawaii. And I think that might have been it. In fact, one of the reasons I believe Puerto Rico is not a state yet, but maybe in the future as white hedge fund managers are down there creating a, a, a billionaire's playhouse and all the other, is because Puerto Rico is still a majority non-white commonwealth. The reason I believe D.C. isn't a state is because it is a heavily majority black community. The moment that switches over to 51% white folks, that's when it will become a state. That's when it will become a state. Because they can't take away the political power of it. So it'll, as soon as you get 51% white people, 52%, 53%, then it will become a state. The United States has never brought in a state that white people were not the majority or did not hold total control over power. That's one of the reasons they didn't keep Mexico when they marched into Mexico City. Well, then they probably couldn't control it. But seriously, that's the, that's the only reason. And the South wanted them to keep Mexico. Because if the United States kept Mexico, that would have enabled slavery to expand into Mexico. The reason the United States didn't keep the Philippines is because they couldn't kill enough of them to allow white people to take control. So they let them become free. Sort of. Now, what does all this have to do with Donald Trump? Because I know you're, you're listening and you're like, wow, this is, okay, this is good. But you did start off talking about Donald Trump. So when are we going to get to Donald Trump? Here we are. We're finally here. With like 40-some minutes, right? Roland Martin's panel kind of did some of the heavy lifting for me on this one. Which is funny because, so... I started recording this a little bit before Roland Martin's show started. Um, and then when I was watching the show, I'm like, oh, all right, cool. <laughs> I could just tap that on the front. Um, or at the beginning, should I say. So, Donald Trump, and I wrote, I wrote a speech that was kind of meandering way back um, in 2017 called A Statement about the 2016 elections. And I put in that speech that it was my, my thinking that Donald Trump represented kind of the white supremacist conscious mind. The, 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 the collective mind, should I say. Not the conscious, but the collective mind. And I believe that more and more as time goes on because I'm watching my white friends eat this man up, and talk about these wild conspiracies while there are real conspiracies in front of them that they don't want to deal with, that they don't think is worth their time. And it is the only thing outside of despair and, and, and a lot of other things that I know Chris Hedges has talked on 
But the only other thing that makes sense is that these folks really have bought into this white supremacist myth. And one of them, for instance, was, was speaking to me the other day about how Maxine Water is, in, is you know, making all of these inflammatory statements and getting up into the face of um, Republicans and, and you know, calling Republicans white supremacists when not all, white, not all Republicans are white supremacists. And I said to him, I go, okay, well, yeah, that, that's true. That's true. Um, but there seems to be a lot of white supremacists in the Republican Party, and she kind of referred to, you know, a few of them, um, which, you know, is what it is. But outside of that, she ain't really say nothing crazy. <laughs> she isn't. And so I was going to start litigating that whole thing again, but let me let me step away. Let me step away, get away from all that, because I will go down that hole and start talking about that and, you know, you got to be here for another 30 minutes. But um, black folks need to see Donald Trump's indictment as a trigger, as, as the sounding of a trigger. Understand something. If Donald Trump goes to prison for this, which I doubt he's going to prison for, but maybe he might. Even if, let's say, he's charged and convicted with felony something, which I believe that'll make him technically ineligible for the presidency. I think. I think that would be considered a high crime and high misdemeanor, which they should have given more thought to. But I think... The idea of him taking these classified documents and possibly showing them, especially if they could prove that he showed them to international people um, outside of the United States, that could that could disqualify him from the presidency, which is going to get his base angry. Now. My biggest concern, ironically, is not that Donald Trump wins again, because I believe the Republicans know that 2024 is really their last hurrah. So they have to do everything they can do to stack the deck in their favor. Because they know new generations are coming online, and they're agitated, they're angry, and they're ready to kick some butt and take the keys away from the older generations. My biggest fear is that he loses. And it's not a fear that I hope, well, well, I hope that doesn't come true. No, I hope he loses. He needs to lose. He needs not to be president again. But the reason I say my biggest fear is that he loses is because these people are ready to commit themselves to a holy struggle to save their white, pure white gringo American America that was never the America that they seem to think it was. And if their gringo champion, make America gringo again, loses, they're not accepting that he lost because he was a, a, a flawed candidate. They're not accepting that the Republican Party it, it has an increasingly shrinking base. They're going to believe 
that the only reason they lost, and I mean, think about the arrogance of this. It really explains white supremacist thinking. The only way that they lost, this is their belief, the only way that they could lose is there has to be some grand conspiracy because they're so great, they're so wonderful, they're, they're so perfect. You can hear Donald Trump saying that, right? Because he literally is a manifestation from the collective white supremacist mind. The only way that they lost was there had to be a grand conspiracy because they're too great to lose. The narcissism in white society, ladies and gentlemen, this is what I've been talking about. This is what I've been talking about. You're talking about psychopathy and narcissism on a grand scale. And most of us, most of us have really just been like, eh. But no, the problem with narcissism and psychopathy, especially when you give it a cultural, collective consciousness to play with it, or, or I'm sorry, I missed a word in there, a, a cultural and collective consciousness foundation and structure to play with, is that it produces individuals who see life as utilitarian and expendable when that utilitarian use is over. And that type of thinking does not only have to transplant itself into a person who is very wealthy. No, you can hold that mentality as a person who is poor with a gun. This week we saw a woman arrested because she shot a black woman through her door, claiming that she was fearful of this black woman. The mind of the white supremacist places them in a position where loss is not optional. They would rather kill and destroy than to believe that they are imperfect. They would rather kill and destroy than to believe that they are imperfect. And I do not know if black folks have accepted this reality. You are dealing with a population that when you even take a cursory look at European history, is built on people with this narcissistic psychopathy ingrained in who they are. They feed on good people. And they destroy them because they believe that good people are weak. They believe that good people who want, who want societal institutions that not only take care of the basic needs of their societies, but societal institutions that promote coalitions that, that surround f true family values, that's, that surround um, cultivating who you are as, as your God-given self. They see these things as destructive and problematic because they can't rule over them. And so they would rather destroy, 
kill and maim rather than allow you to experience true freedom. And I don't know if black folks realize that. These people have signaled. It's all over the net. That they are preparing for a war with you. And if Donald Trump loses, and he needs to lose, the talk will not be how do we elect somebody in 2028? Because for many of them, they see Donald Trump as the last real, true, great Republican. Think about how crazy that is, I know. But they see Donald Trump as the last true great Republican. They see a direct line from Ronald Reagan to Donald Trump. Thank you, thank you, all those people who are now on the, 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 center, the, the, the center left, the bulwark. Y'all ain't left at all, but the bulwark and all y'all other people. Who, who actually got us to this point, thank you. They see a direct line from Donald Trump, and, uh, to, uh, from Ronald Reagan to Donald Trump. And they believe that the republic is done if Donald Trump isn't there. Because there's no other Republican that can do what he or Ronald Reagan did. Both of them movie actors, by the way. And because of that, they are literally looking at 1776 as a model for what they need to do to save their country. And you need to understand, how many of you know we have in this country the 250th marking of when this country was founded in 2026. How many of you know that? How many of you know that? I do. Questions, comments, concerns, you know you can always reach out to me. Sorry, I know this one went a little bit long, y'all. This one went a lot longer than I thought it would. Um, obviously, questions, comments, concerns. I love hearing from you guys. Send me stuff, you know, ideas for shows, questions, comments. Um, if you want to know how to reach me, somebody did ask me that. Um, <clears throat> the best way, you can hit me up on Facebook, Class War Battlefield Podcast. You can hit me up on Facebook, Class War Battlefield Podcast, and, and I will hit you up back. Um, you can also go to radio, R-A-D-I-O, the number four. A-L-L dot net. That's radio, the number four. A-L-L dot net. And um, just search bar, which is to your right, Class War Battlefield podcast. Boom. Click one of the episodes. At the top, you'll see contact contributor. You can write a message in there. It'll come straight to my email. You know, and I'll do my best to get back to you. Um, unfortunately, sometimes it goes into the uh, spam filter i've caught a, a a few of them in the spam folder so <clears throat> you know if you if you hit me up on facebook class war battlefield podcast if you hit me up on facebook and i'm thinking depending on how long 
Twitter is still along, uh, still around. Maybe I'll also do a CWB podcast um, Twitter handle too. But if you want to hit me up on Facebook, it's easier, more direct, what have you. Um, and if you want to support the work I'm doing, CWB podcast, uh, CWB podcast, CWB podcast, CWB podcast, PayPal it. You could also um, PayPal it and what you call it? <laughs> what you call it? J Prize. Oh, Cash App. There we go. Cash App. PayPal and Cash App. Um, yeah, do all that. You know, whatever you could do, two, five, ten. 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks every month. Hook me up. Um, I know y'all have noticed the amount that I'm releasing trickling because as I stated a couple of months ago, I'm going to be going back to work. And because I'm going back to work, I'm not going to have the time that I had prior to it to put them out every week like I was doing, which um, it's manifested. So, you know, support the work that I'm doing so I can put these out more frequently. Um, Right now, I definitely can do once or twice a month. And so you'll be seeing a lot of multiple part postings. But hopefully I can expand that a little bit more, you know. Finally, finally, quick shout out, Dr. Obertashaka. In class with Carr, Karen Hunter, Africana Carr, Dr. Carr, um, Black Power Media, The Professional Left Podcast, Nicole Sandler, uh, the Majority Report, Emma, Sam, and all the, and, and the boys that are behind the uh, boards, uh, Young Turks, Nina, Nina, Sister Nina, yeah, mm-hmm, unbossed. Man, who else I got? Who else I got? Bernard Down, Luke Mon, uh, Riot Starter, yeah, uh, Kamal Franklin, Kamal Franklin, the Remix Morning Show, miss you guys. Um, Billified. Who else I got? Who am I missing? Best of the Left Podcast. Great, 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 great. You want to laugh while you learning? The Dollop. D-O-L-L-O-P. D-O-L-L-O-P. Um, some more news. Some more news. I love them. They, they, they keep me going. Um, a non-political, a non-political, uh, channel that I really, I really love the work they do over there because it's just so funny, um, is, uh, The Real Gems, which is my go-to for Simpsons, The Real Gems, uh, y'all know I'm a big Simpsons fan, always will be, uh, and then my last non-political one is Cinema, Cin, Cinema Sins, literally Cinema Sins, C-I-N-E-M-A-S-I-N-S, Really good, really good, really good, really funny stuff. Um, but uh, the Michael Slate show, very radical, very powerful. Um, Chris Hedges' report, obviously. I'm glad that he did find a home after RT went down. Uh, and uh, I think that's it for now. I know there's there's some there's some other ones that I'm missing. Um, but I've been real busy lately and haven't really had an opportunity to check in with some of the ones I was checking in with uh, during my extended break from employment. So check all those guys out. Check them out. Check them out. Check them out. Check them out. Again, questions, comes concerns. You know I love hearing from you. Reach out. Reach out. Reach out. Reach out. I'm your brother, Vimeer Diesel. Oh, God. Yeah.
Oh, this one was really long. Wow. I'll see you on the next one, because I've been waiting for something to happen for a week or a month or a year. There's a shadow on the faces of the men who sent the guns to the wars that are fought in places where their business interest runs on the radio talk shows and the TV. You hear one thing again and again, how the USA stands for and we come to the aid of a friend But who are the ones that we call our friends? These governments killing their own Or the people who find they can't take anymore And they pick up a gun or a brick or a stone